And I was shown that um, uh, that Lucifer would return, that the UN and the Vatican were going to be completely behind it, again, under false pretenses. He's going to show up and say, I'm here to save the day, right? Uh, and, okay, fine, you know. Yeah, of course, ahead, you can say whatever you want. But I've always hated censorship. It's the internet. Sometimes, you know, once they get you for your first love bite, well, it depends on how aware you are, right? First of all, as you know, the uh, the Anunnaki and the Draco are enemies. Second of all, underneath Baghdad was a stargate that was created by the Anunnaki so that they could transfer from the Jupiter to the Earth. I could just end it all, but the demons will have one. Practitioners that, you know, some are, are good and some use their magic for good and to heal and to help, and others do use it for evil. And, you know, in some cases, you know, people really were. This is too much sometimes. And there you have it. The greatest intro on the greatest paranormal show of all time. Oh, wait a second. I forgot to do something. From the broken ruins of Babylon. That's right. This is End of Days Radio. The date is June 27th, 2017. My guest today is Mark Sargent. Mark grew up on South Whidbey Island, Washington. That's actually close to where I live. He is a former professional gamer. In 2014, Mark decided to actually look into flat earth theory. And after much painstaking time learning, he found that the earth is actually flat. In 2015, he released a series of YouTube videos titled Flat Earth Clues that explains how we very well might be living in some kind of enclosed Earth system. Let's stop standing around kicking rocks and give him a call. Hello, Mark. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing fan freaking tastic. I did want to go ahead and just start off by asking you to go ahead and just tell us a little bit about your background, if you wouldn't mind. I understand sure. you have a pretty interesting background, so if you wouldn't mind doing that, please do it now. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started out, I won't go all the way back, but I grew up in a small, well, small town on an island in the northwest of the United States called Whidbey, W-H-I-D-B-E-Y. And my career started basically when I was hired by a company out in Boulder, Colorado to play video games for a living, which was pretty unusual for the mid-90s. There weren't a lot of us out there doing that. And basically I was hired as a ringer to go around the different conventions and make the software look better than it actually – well, to play it, I should say, as good as it could be played. How's that? Not better than it was, but it, make it above average. And that was kind of fun. Did, you know, Mac Worlds and E3 and, and stuff like that. And then after that, I jumped over to some time and attendance software companies. And what I was doing there was teaching people proprietary software around the country, which was kind of fun. So I flew around to just about every town you would never want to go to on vacation in the United States and, and some outside the United States. And that's what I did for the better part of the next 15, pushing 20 years. And during that time, that's when I got into conspiracies. Well, I should say I got into conspiracies before I went to Colorado, you know, the, the early stuff, you know, JFK. I, I've, I'm old enough that I saw JFK in the theater in the early 90s and thought I had seen just about every conspiracy there was except for, of course, the most ridiculous of all conspiracies, which is Flat Earth. And that's how I kind of finally stumbled upon it. Now, what would you say, Mark, if you could say one thing to all of those people that, and I was in this camp at one point myself, admittedly, until I started to look into it, and mm -hmm. I, I probably had a similar experience, but what would you say to all of those out there that are just completely closed-minded about Flat Earth, they think it's stupid, they think it's ridiculous, and they won't even take a second glance at it? Uh, to them, I would say, and my answer is really kind of varies from, from month to month, but what I'm kind of leaning towards now is, before you reject it entirely, know this, I was like you. Meaning nobody in the Flat Earth community starts out thinking that Flat Earth is a great idea. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Everyone hates it. It is the worst, worst thing you could ever think of in terms of conspiracies. I've not, I'm not kidding when I said in the clues, I know guys that go to alien conventions and think that every member of the royal house or houses are reptilian. And yet when you say, Oh yeah, by the way, I've looked at this flat earth thing. They'll get the hell out of here and they'll wave you out of the room. So, but, but to, to people that don't know, you know, they're, they're looking at this going, okay, this guy is obviously insane and I might be certifiable as far as you know. But I try to say this, okay, you, you know, it's, it's a globe. You know this with every fiber of your being. How do you know this? And by that, I, and let me back up for a sec. The first picture that was officially taken of Earth in its entirety was in 1972 by Apollo 17. How did you know before that? Because you didn't have any pictures before 1972. Yeah, I know you can say, oh, there's come some fuzzy pictures, you know, in the late 50s and early 60s. I'm like, fine. How did you know before NASA? Because it's not like we woke up one day in the 70s and just realized the Earth was a globe. We knew for at least, and I don't care if you want to go back to the Greeks or, or other civilizations, you know, they go way, way back. For at least 500 years before NASA, 
450 years before NASA. We knew this for an absolute fact. How did you know? And eventually the person on the other end, you know, I'm, I'm playing both sides here, is going to say something like, well, science told us. That, that is generally their answer. And so I try to calmly say, okay, what exactly did science tell you to make you believe it was a globe? And it's not that science told you anything specific. That's, that's where everyone gets tripped up. The thing is, if they tell you something for so long to where your father was told this and his father and his father going back at least 20 generations, you have no chance. So don't, don't feel bad that, that you fell for this because this is something that goes back so far that it go, it, it's beyond most people's general family trees. This goes back before photography. This goes back before balloon travel. This goes back before a lot of things. So the fact that you, you, you know, you woke up one day or well, let's say you were born in, I don't know, 1980, uh, you, you were done. You, you were going into a classroom where the globe was sitting there and all you had to do was sit there and look at that stupid toy globe for the last, you know, if you went through just high school, 12 years. That's it. That's, that's classic conditioning to where it is so burned in your head. You will brace against it. You will defend against it. And it's always interesting to see. And I, I can't get mad at people who just put up, the, put up their fists and say, you're an idiot. You're a moron. I, 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 I try to come back to them. I go, do you even know why you're upset at this point? I could bring up – this will kind of gives you, again, an idea of how strong the conditioning is here. I could bring up any other topic and you would not be – as so violently opposed to it. And I mean, take your pick, uh, abortion rights, uh, gay rights, women's rights, black rights, stem cell research, just go on and on and on, right? It, it makes no difference. You are not going to break. Why does this, why do you brace against this more than you do those other very, very uh, highly polarizing topics? It's because you were born into it. It's the only thing we debunk to children. So, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling. So, no, that's that's very interesting. And and for people that actually get into the subject matter, what path what what pathway do they usually take? How do they find out that the earth might actually be flat? Um lately it's been because YouTube has recommended it to them, which is interesting in itself. Meaning that I've YouTube has in, implemented two different things over the years. One has been the recommendations, you know, which shows up on the right hand bar, and the other thing is autoplay. That has really taken a lot of people. Meaning, when you're playing a video and the video stops, usually the video would just stop, but now autoplay rolls into a video that YouTube will choose for you. And I cannot tell you the amount of phone calls and emails I've gotten from people that have said, "Oh yeah, I was watching a JFK video." And all of a sudden, a flat earth thing followed it. Or even remotely conspiracy, it just keeps getting recommended to them. And then once they start down that road, you know, once they start going down that, that rabbit hole, well, it's it's a deep one. And they're, they're not coming out of it anytime soon. Yeah, I had that experience myself. I must have spent uh, 20 to 40 hours or more just sitting on my computer all night long watching flat earth videos. Yeah, oh yeah, people will lose. I also get I, I don't get that much crap for it, but people lose a lot of sleep because there's so much content out there. 
where to where I'm kind of envious in a way of people that are just getting into it now. Because when you, when you get into it now, it's not like you know, a couple of years ago when, when you took a while and you were waiting for new videos to come out. There is such a huge back catalog of flat earth videos that you could be watching eight hours a day for months and never, never get through uh, the, the, never even come close to getting through it, the amount of videos there's out. There's tons and tons. I mean, I alone, me myself right now have, I think 650 videos on my channel and i just keep cranking them out so yeah it's a lot of fun now one thing that was disturbing for me when i went through the process if you want to call it that mm. of, of staying up all night and watching these videos and having that whole mind screw process taking part in my brain uh one of the things that really bothered me and screwed with me the most were these videos that were pointing out how fake space actually looks. If you look at the details of the videos that are taken in space, whether they're from NASA or from China or from Russia, they all yeah. seem to be completely fake. They don't, I mean, if you really look closely, they don't even really look real at all. What's yeah, they, you're absolutely right. And they, the, the fakeness started, of course, NASA, NASA was built in, and for people again who are listening to this first time, I'm not just saying that some of NASA is faked. I'm including the moon mission and, uh, the ISS and Soyuz and everything else you can think of. I'm saying that NASA, the only reason NASA was formed in the first place was to keep this thing a secret. And what they did was kind of clever. They used a combination of, of of milking a very very small amount of photos and videos for you know as I mean playing those records for as long as you possibly could and then letting science fiction and the Hollywood and Hollywood without any help from them uh, just kind of fill in the gaps. So when again, if you're going down this road, you want to try to disprove this because everyone's going to try or say, well, I could totally disprove flat Earth. It's stupid. I'm just going to look up some NASA stuff and I'll be able to solve it in a couple days. And that's exactly what I did. And that's what a lot of people do. But when you look at NASA and if you want to look at JAXA or the European Agency or those others, that's fine, too. But if you're looking at them, you start to see that. All the, the you there should be tons and tons and tons of films and uh, short little videos and documentaries and still shots. There should be tons and tons and tons of them. In fact, you, you assume this it, that there should be an entire warehouse full of boxes full of evidence that should be able to squash the flat Earth. But as you're going through those boxes, you realize they're all empty. There's nothing there. Uh, to where, you know, I commented, I wasn't the one to first discover this. It's don't, in fact, don't, when you're, when you're examining NASA, it's not what to look for. It's what not to look for, what's missing. So for example, there is no footage of any astronaut in, in an exterior shot, not interior, but exterior shot of any space mission where they pan the camera around 180 degrees or further. Statistically, that's bordering on impossible, you know, on the moon, what nobody took a camera and just spun around, uh, or even the ISS, even today it's 2017. Nobody's in the ISS walk outside the capsule and just spin around with a camera. They, they won't do it. Um, there's no footage of any rocket from, you know, from the rocket's point of view with a camera on the rocket of any rocket leaving the earth's orbit or returning to earth without that's unedited, unedited. I mean, just let the film run. 
and you know rockets move pretty fast. You'd think you know the, the very least leaving Earth, you'd be able to get some shots there. No, the 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 camera for whatever reason always drops off during the first or second stage, which is fascinating. Um, there's no movies of even an astronaut with, uh, opening up an airlock and walking outside of it. There's so many things that should be there. Uh, no, no videos. In fact, we've got a, a wonderful little short vid on my channel where uh, one of the community members called up the NASA trademark office. And these are the guys that you call up if you want to, if you're a Hollywood producer looking for stuff. And he pretended to be a Hollywood producer, fairly convincing, I might add. And he filmed himself talking to the, to this guy on speakerphone. And he was looking for the Earth rotating on its axis, authentic Earth rotating on its axis from space. Didn't exist. Now, all this changed in the summer of 2015, where all of a sudden NASA released some some things. It's like, oh, no, no, here's the Earth rotating on its axis from space, and here's the moon transiting in front of it. It's like, okay, um, where'd, this set, where'd this satellite come from? It just announced it out of nowhere. And when they did that, you noticed that the weather wasn't morphing during that shot. And, of course, the moon was completely wrong. The perspective was completely wrong for the moon transiting in front. And then right after that, they announced a Japanese satellite. So, oh yeah, here's, here's, a, here's a shot of the, the Earth um, with the weather morphing. But it isn't spinning. So you can do one or the other, apparently, but not both. And that those just came online in in 2015 or the middle of 2015. So what I try to tell people is, you know, if they show me this, I'm going, hey, those didn't even come online until we asked for them. We're talking 40 something years of, of, of nobody's ever come up with this. I call it the angry wife syndrome where uh, the husband comes home after 40 years of marriage and the wife says, well, I'm going to, I'm going to divorce you. And he goes, why? She goes, because in all the years I've been married to you, you've only bought me one bouquet of flowers. So what do you think happens the next day? He comes home and he's going, Hey, I got a bouquet of flowers. You don't have to get divorced anymore. And she looks at him and says, what are you talking about? The only reason you've been bought the damn flowers is because I told you that's really what, what they've been pushing lately. But even the stuff they've been pushing lately is horrible. So, and why do you, what are your beliefs regarding, I mean, if you have them, regarding why we're not able to get up into space? Is there really a dome of some type covering the Earth? I believe there is, yes. Uh, and, it, and some of it goes into the biblical thing, but I'm not going to quote chapter and verse here. Uh, the firmament is otherwise as it's known, but I call it you know, the Truman Show dome, a terrarium dome, a planetarium, a ant farm, whatever you want to call it. It could be there for, <coughs> excuse me. One of two reasons. One, uh, that we, uh, we're trying to be protected from something that's on the outside of us. Or two, because they're trying to keep us from getting out. One of the, one of the two. Because we, you know, we're a very dangerous, savage species. And we've all seen the, the Hollywood movies over the last 50, 60 years. You know, even, what was that movie? Uh, uh, the Day the Earth Stood Still, the original one, not the Keanu Reeves one. Where, and that was back in the early days of science fiction where they said, look, you, humanity is not going to be allowed to just start roaming through the galaxy. Now, do I even think there's a galaxy outside of this? Doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be at all. So yeah, I do believe in a firmament. I do believe in a dome. I do believe that you cannot get high enough to even take a picture of uh, even an accurate flat earth picture which is why all the nasa rockets arc over into almost a near horizontal uh, trajectory immediately after takeoff they should go straight up for a long long time and they don't 
You can watch the time-lapse footage or even the time-lapse still photography of NASA rockets. They always arc over. They, you, we, they should be heading you know, damn near straight up, and they don't. So, no, no, I don't think we can get high enough. And Now, does that mean there's nothing up there? No, no, no. And people say, oh, no, I've seen satellites and I've seen the ISS. It's like, okay, you've seen something up there, but there's no people on it. I, fine. You want to claim that the ISS is up there? Fine. That's, there's nobody living on there. If you think I'm kidding, look at the ISS interior footage. And to throw one more thing in there, if you want to have some fun, because this was recommended to me by a British guy years ago, before I was in the Flat Earth, he goes, Get a pair of night vision binoculars and start looking at the sky at night. Wait till your eyes get adjusted and start looking at the sky and tell me what you see. There's a lot of stuff flying up there, and it doesn't isn't us. It isn't satellites. I don't know what they are, but uh, it's not the Americans, I can tell you that much. Oh, wow. So you're telling me if I go out and buy some night vision goggles and wait for my eyes to adjust and look at the sky, I'm going to observe some phenomena. Oh, yeah. The sky's crawling with things. I used to go out almost every clear night in Colorado. And Colorado was great because it was high altitude. And so you didn't have to deal. I mean, the atmosphere was was thinner. And I remember the first night I went out there because, again, the conditioning, I was going, wow, there's a lot of satellites up there. I mean, it's it's you 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 night, not just night vision goggles, but night vision binoculars that you can get them on Amazon. Uh, I recommend because I went through a, a lot of different pairs. Uh, night owl in 5x don't get anything less than 5x i mean if you got a couple grand to spend then yeah you can get a 10x but for like 500 bucks you can get a a decent 5x and what you see is a lot of objects that you cannot see with the naked eye and it's not because of the magnification it's because of the the low light they're they're not reflecting anything and everybody please donate to end of days radio so i can afford a pair of those binoculars (laughs) there you go oh it's, it's totally worth it absolutely worth your time and when uh, the first night, because it only took two nights to figure this out, the first night I'm going, there are a lot of satellites up there. I mean, a ton of satellites up there, and they're, some are flying in formation, and some are uh, they're going in all different directions, and it's like weird, you know. It's like how could you know how could I not see these? And then the second night, I'm getting bored because like oh, I don't want to look at satellites all day, and I'm watching one, I'm watching one, and then all of a sudden it slows down. And it stops like it's lost or something. And then after apparently it got directions, it made a right-hand turn, sped up, went ballistic, and was out of sight in, I don't know, 15 seconds. And I, you know, you're sitting there going, okay, what, what was I just looking at exactly? And then you have to put into object, you have to put into question everything else that's flying up there. And then you wait long enough, you wait a few days or a week, and you'll see your first formation. You see your first squadron, you know, the flying in a V formation, and you know, up to you know, as small as little as three or four, and as many as twelve to fifteen, and it's incredible to see. You know, people, yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, actually, I was just going to mention that I had an experience like that. I did not have the night vision goggles. But I was looking up at the sky and I saw a bunch of satellites and there was way too many of them. There was probably a total of seven or eight of them flying in different directions and and blinking, shining. They would all of a sudden shine brighter than they should be, like more to the extent than it would be if it was just reflecting sunlight. That was, yeah. yeah, one of my UFO sightings. Oh yeah, yeah, it's absolutely true. There's the sky's crawling with that stuff. In fact, it's it's interesting because when I was watching it, it 
the um, in fact they just celebrated the I think it was the 70th anniversary of the Kenneth Arnold sighting, the guy that actually coined flying saucers up here in Washington State. And remember, he was flying; it was daytime, and he was flying above them in a Cessna, and they were hugging the tree line below him, which was even even better. But what you're seeing, I, I what I called them after a while as I was watching it was I called them Driver's Ed. Because that's what they reminded me of. They were always during a certain time of an evening, like after school, but before you went home. And it was a certain number. It wasn't an excessive amount. It wasn't like an armada of 20 or something like that. But that's, but they all felt like they were tethered together. Like they were, like they were training. Like they were just going, trying to figure out how to drive these things. And it was impressive. It was, and once you see it, I mean, they don't make any sound. And, you know, they, they're not birds flapping around or anything. I know what a bird looks like, and, and a bird can't cross a horizon in that short amount of time uh, at that altitude. And it was amazing. So anyway, the point is there's a lot of stuff up there, and it is not us. Okay, and a lot of people, including me, one of the things that they are most curious about regarding flat earth theory is the edge. What's on the edge? Is it an ice wall? Well, that's just it. In fact, there's been a lot of confusion about that since the the new wave of flat Earth community has has emerged, which is people keep thinking that the edge of this you know is like a Game of Thrones ice wall at the end, and that's only partially true. Meaning the coastline of Antarctica, and you guys can look this up. the The actual physical coastline of Antarctica, not the peninsula, not the islands, but hardcore main body of Antarctica is a giant wall of ice that just extends from from the ocean straight up, I don't know, 150, 200 feet, depending on where you are. And then the Antarctica as a continent is really unique because then it goes in. Let's say you, you, you were in a boat and you got to the edge of the Antarctic and you climbed up on top of it. Well, as you're moving inland, it slopes up really, really quickly to where most of the continents, at least the ones they're announcing to us, is at least 12,000 feet in altitude. And that's really, really high. You know, altitude sickness starts kicking in with some people at about 7,000 feet. 12,000 feet, most people are going to feel really, really lightheaded. And then what I believe is that it just keeps going in. Uh, for several thousand miles. So it's not the edge by any stretch. The coastline is just the beginning of the edge. And then it goes in, I don't know, let's say several thousand miles. I think it's far enough that it took them almost 30 years with planes to figure out where the edge was. Remember that Admiral Byrd was looking literally in his, and he flew his own stuff. He was looking from 1928 until 1956. And that's when that's when he quit. His last mission was in 1955, 56 with Operation Deep Freeze. So it's deep enough. The edge is thick enough. That, so you've got where the water meets, you know, where the rubber meets the road. You where the water meets the ice, and the distance between where the ice starts and what I call the outer marker or the outer barrier, or you want to call it the wall of the dome, the Truman Show wall. That's got to be another several thousand miles at least. And it's pure, you know, it's pure snow and ice. It, it is tough sledding. No pun intended there. Could there be land beyond the poles? Like it says in that famous book, could there be other civilizations and even other tribes of humans out there? Oh, sure. Why not? You know, if this place isn't a one-off, 
And I'm so fond of saying that, you know, we're not the first civilization to rent this apartment by any stretch. This is where we are. If this is a giant terrarium, this isn't, wasn't built just for us. As, as special as we are, there were other civilizations before us. And there's evidence of it still lying around. The, the sunken cities off of Japan, the sunken cities off of India, the Bosnian pyramids, uh, Bimini Road, the Bermuda Triangle. All these things are just leftover ruins of, of, of the groups that were here before. We might be the seventh group, the eighth group. We might be the 20th group. Uh, who, who, you know, more interesting when you work your way backwards, though, because then you're talking about when the continents were just one big giant continent called Pangea and, you know, were the sun and the moon even in the sky at that point. It gets really, really interesting. But other civilizations outside of here, sure, sure. I mean, there could be other worlds. I mean, other other dome-like structures outside just like ours or in different states of uh, technological evolution. How about stars? Uh, we look up in the sky and we see twinkling lights and we assume that they're luminous light bodies that are out there burning are right. are stars actually stars or are they something else? Oh, no, no. I think they're just lights. I, I think they're literally no different than when you go into a planetarium. Uh, you, and I know it kind of dates me when I say that. A planetarium, for those of you who don't know, is a building you go into and it simulates the sky, most often used at night. And it basically it's a display system projected onto uh, the ceiling of a domed structure from the inside. So... In a case like this, I mean, we could build them to where the, the display system was on the outside or the projectors were on the outside if you really wanted to. But yes, the stars are not these burning, huge burning balls of gas that are millions of light years away, potentially. They're just little lights in the sky that are built into either the dome structure or just outside of it. And uh, not to quote uh, any chapter and verse on this one, but yeah, you say, let's say God made the uh, the sun and the moon which we'll get to, uh, it was NASA that told you how far they were away and how big they were. One thing that always did bother me about NASA, well, I can't say that it always bothered me because before when I heard it, I didn't even think about it for one second. But one thing that bothers me about them now is they tell you all these crazy flight paths that these probes are taking where they shoot them off into the deep of space and then they, they orbit a planet and then they slingshot off and then they go orbit another planet and they do oh, yeah. all kinds of things that just seem ridiculous. It, it seems like we shouldn't even have the technology yet that would allow a probe to do that. And then when they mm -hmm. show you pictures of them, they look they look like toys. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And what – in fact, it gets even weirder because – only recently have we been showing more 3D models. It's not just that the Earth is spinning on its axis and rotating around the sun at, let's say, 60,000 miles an hour, if you believe mainstream science. The solar system is flying sideways like a shotgun pattern at about half a million miles an hour. So one of my questions is, okay – you know, there's there's a lot of distance between, let's say, the Earth and Mars and Mars and Jupiter. There's a lot of null points where gravity is kind of off, you know, it's on its own, right? So how exactly is a probe that's being fired off towards Jupiter not being left in the dust by our own solar system? Then you can say, oh, no, our solar system drags it because of gravity. I'm going, well, not entirely it wouldn't. You know, you throw a golf ball out, out outside the window of a car. Yeah, it's going to keep up with a car for a little while. 
because of momentum. And if you want to say the gravity is going to pull a little bit, yeah, I might be able to keep it a little bit longer. But sooner or later, that probe is going to be left. It's going to be left behind. You're, you're not going to catch it, which, of course, leads into a question that one of my uh, uh, friends said. He goes, how exactly does Halley's Comet come back? Because Halley's Comet, you know, supposedly circles, it does this elliptical orbit around our solar system every 76 years, but it leaves the solar system. So if the solar system is flying away from it, how exactly does that comet get pulled back into our solar system so much with so much force that it actually catches up and goes fast? Remember, because it's got to go faster than our solar system to catch up to the sun, then loop around the sun and go back. What is pulling it back? At that point, I know everyone's going, oh, gravity, gravity. It's like, no, you can't use gravity for everything. And we're slowly but surely making gravity a, uh, a tough foundation to stand on. And then there's other videos that show some of the obvious fakery, some of the stage magic that they're using in some of these ISS videos. One thing that really got me laughing pretty hard were these ridiculous hairstyles that some of the women had up on the International Space Station. Uh, yeah. They actually put hairspray in their hair to make make it almost seem like a lack of gravity is having an effect on their hair. It's making it stand up when in reality, but- go ahead. Yeah, but it wasn't just because of that. It was because the reason why they did it that way. Well, okay. What I, I have some criticisms you probably heard me say on other things, which is if you're going to simulate zero G, the problem with, with women's hair is that women's hair is like, <clears throat> It reacts to any sort of movement, like they're like you're in a swimming pool. And, you know, so if a woman's hair moves one way, you know, head moves one way, the hair is going to kind of trail behind, like a like a kite tail. And you can't let that happen if you're using zero g planes, because it will give it away. It'll you know, it's like wait, why is all this motion? Why is that woman's hair moving around so much? So instead of doing the three first logical things I would come up with, one is, I don't know, have wear really, really short hair because you shouldn't have long hair at all on the space station anyway. Two, tie it back in a rubber band. Those don't cost a lot of money. Or three, spend a few bucks and actually put a NASA hat on or use any corporate logo and, and you know endorse the sucker. But no, what they did was they hairsprayed the, the woman's hair into place kind of straight up like the bride of Frankenstein <laughs> and it didn't it to where it was stiff. I mean, you could throw a ball off of it and it'd probably bounce off. <laughs> so what, how, why, why would they do that? The, the reason was again, because they had to, you have to appeal to the lowest common denominator. And at the same time, you want to make sure that you, you know, their, their hair doesn't bounce around. So I think they got greedy really, you know, which is, Fine. You could have put him in a hat and no one would have known any different. But the average knuckle dragger at home is like, oh, their hair's up because zero gravity. You know, they, they just don't, they just don't, the, don't know the difference. Uh, unfortunately, all the nerds out there in the internet world, and there's a lot more of them every single year, figured that one out pretty quick. But that's just, they've, they've been making mistakes for years. The, the one I loved recently was the, uh, the 1983 footage that we just dug up recently, which was the, uh, uh, one when they were they were blasting off, that you you looked at them, them managing the control panels, and they not only did they not were they not wearing gloves, they weren't even wearing sleeves, and two they were wearing motorcycle helmets. But it's like, okay, why are you wearing a pressurized helmet if your arms and hands are exposed? And I can see your neck, 
So that helmet isn't actually attached to anything. You're not even wearing a freaking spacesuit. Why are you wearing the helmet at all? It's not like you're on a, a mountain bike. This is back in the 80s. And then, you know, when they were showing the model, I don't know if you saw that one, where they were showing the back payload of the of the space shuttle, and it, and all of a sudden you see this giant head behind it. Some guy who was working the model couldn't get out of the frame fast enough. And that, that was just in the 80s. They've, everyone makes production mistakes because live is a lot different than movies. Live, there's a reason why you don't see a lot of live television, and that's because people make mistakes, and they're, they're getting called out on it. Yeah, I mean... Back to the hair thing, just real quick. Mm-hmm. What's funny is that if, if there really was no gravity, to see what that would look like, all you'd have to do is watch a video of a woman with long hair swimming underwater. That's exactly how it should look, not oh, yeah. stiff and weird like it does. Oh, no, there's there's women on zero-G planes. I don't think they really sell those tours anymore, where you can see, you know, all you have to type in zero-G plane footage. Where, yeah, women with, with longer hair, they, yeah, it just flows. It flows like you're in water. And that's exactly what it should be. Because remember, we're not – the air that we breathe is all, is really just a thin version of water. If water is two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, remember, the air we breathe is one part oxygen, four parts nitrogen. It's still kind of a soupy mixture. Yeah, it's thinner than water, but it's not a vacuum by any stretch. So women's hair is going to float in it. Another thing that I find to be hilarious is this 24-7 streaming video that supposedly comes from the ISS. I find it hilarious because uh, the nighttime footage especially, it just looks so god-awful fake. It's so obviously CGI. I mean, it has that cartoonish kind of look that CGI has. I don't know why anybody would even buy into that being real. Oh, I can go one step further there. You guys want to have some fun. Forget about the blue marble shots. Look up something called the black marble shots, which is basically the Earth taken at night from supposed, you know, satellites, composites. And it took the nerd squad almost no time to figure this one out, which was when you're looking at the black marble shots, you look at the whole Earth and, and they, they kind of, you know, do a Mercator map spread out of the whole thing. You're looking at Western Australia and it's lit up with all these massive population centers. Well, there are no population centers in Western Australia. Australia is basically a, a desert continent where everyone lives on the coastline. And yet there were these huge swaths of lights that especially if there was one section that looked like a major metropolitan city, it was in the middle of a national park. And when they approached NASA with this and you know, NASA took all the shots and said, Hey, where are all these lights? And they, they said, Oh, um, those are brush fires. Yeah. There were a lot of brush fires that summer. I'm going really brush fires across this big area that look exactly like the cities that were next to them. Brush fires, those brush fires. And if you knew there were brush fire, you, you didn't edit them out. It was just ridiculous. And again, it was just laziness on their part. People that do graphic design, computer people, no offense, I'm one of them, you tend to fall into patterns and you tend to get lazy. No different than um, Scott Simmons, the guy that came up with the first blue marble shot for the iPhone. Remember back when the first iPhone came out, what was that, 2004, 2005, something like that? There were no pictures of the Earth from space, no new ones, kind of like when I was looking back in 2000. And so he was a NASA consultant and had to create a blue marble Earth shot from scratch. 
And when he did it, he photoshopped the hell out of it. And he used the cloning tool when he got lazy with the cloud formations in the southern hemisphere. And there's tons of duplicate cloud, I mean, identical cloud, you know, it was obvious the cloning tool that was used. And he was on an audio interview with the, the famous quote where he's saying, yeah, it's Photoshop, but it has to be. Because there was, he had to create something from scratch because there were no photos of the Earth from space in 2004, which should be impossible, but that's true. I also, I also saw this other video. I found this humorous as well. Apparently, there's a satellite up there that that was launched originally in the 1960s, and there's supposedly people in Antarctica getting internet through that satellite right now. Really? Internet through a 60s satellite? Yeah. For, 40 years before the internet was, was fully up and running? Uh-huh. Yeah. I, 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 I highly... What, what's the baud rate on that? Come on. I, I mean, I, it was, I was still using a 33.6 modem in the early 2000s. So don't, don't tell me there's a 60s satellite can do that. No, there's no... There's no there's nothing up there. There never was. I mean, if there is anything up there, it's being suspended by something, whether it's uh, part of the NASA balloon project. But there's nothing. It's not what you think it is up there. There's there's no – you don't need satellites for communications. And by that, look up the, the clue I did on how GPS satellites, you know, the Department of Defense, United States – 32 satellite system blanket coverage that's supposed to be tracking every object that's flying in the world. And yet when any plane leaves any coastline where it's at least 150 miles away from any other body, you know, like an island or anything like that, the GPS drops off. It doesn't exist, which is coincidentally enough the limit of ground-based radar. So how does that work? How does your plane – oh, yeah, you can still see it on the screen – it's still there, but if you click on it, the latitude and longitude completely vanishes. It goes into approximated mode or estimated mode, which means they have no idea where your plane is. Is it speaking of Antarctica, is it true that nobody's actually allowed to travel there? It's not that you can't travel there. So if you, for example, wanted to go to Antarctica tomorrow, you could pay the ten, fifteen thousand dollars. And you could travel to, you get a trip, and you could go to the peninsula somewhere and have your picture taken with penguins next to some island. You know, that'd be really fun. But when it comes, what's really interesting isn't the individual. So yeah, you could, you can go down there for a limited time. But if you had, let's say, have a company, be it an oil company or a gas company or a mining company or uranium or whatever it is, you aren't allowed to go there ever. For any amount of money. I don't care what lobbyist you use, how much money you spend on bribes, how many palms you grease, you cannot go down there. And, and this applies to every country. The, the 1959 Antarctic Treaty is the longest running, most universal treaty that we have. No country has broken it. No country has even tried to break it. No country has even protested against this. And we're talking countries that could use the resources. We're talking heavy hitters like like Russia after World War II, the United Kingdom after World War II, China. Lord knows they need resources all the time. You cannot go down there. So you're thinking, okay, what does that mean? I'm saying that it's the only conspiracy, one of uh, just a small, small handful of conspiracies that's bigger than money. Meaning if I own ExxonMobil, here's where it gets weird. I own ExxonMobil and I want to go down to Antarctica. I can't do it. 
the treaty forbids me to do it. And even if I could grease the palms of one country, it's set up to where multiple countries have to approve me to, to do it, which is amazing. Every real piece of real estate in the world is owned by somebody except for Antarctica. The entire continent is not owned by anybody and it's protected by everybody for some mysterious reason. But not only is my company not allowed to go down there, but I am not even allowed to talk about it. So you think, well, you know, I get a wild hair at my ass. Like, you know what? I'm going to go to the New York Times. I got a couple friends there. I'm going to have them run a full page ad and tell people why it's great for Mark's uh, company to go down to Antarctica. No, I'm not even allowed to do that for some reason. It's not even something that can be brought up. Find me a congressman or a senator, anybody that talks about this. Even though you're saying, well, there's nothing down there. I go, no, 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 no. Admiral Byrd, you know, the world's greatest explorer, he came on national television and he told everybody. He said, no, the place is made out of money. There's an entire mountain range made out of coal. There's oil. There's uranium. There's minerals. There's no indigenous plant life to step on. There's no uh, animal life anywhere around to, to, to accidentally run over. The place is literally made for resources. And yet, within a few years after he said that, the place was locked down tighter than a drum. Antarctica is one of the biggest red flags there is. It's the hidden – most people don't even know that the Antarctic Treaty exists. You can look it up online. This is not secret information. The Antarctic Treaty has layers and layers and layers of protection. It should have been broken by now or at the very least it should have been contested by now. And yet every country – you tell me something that unilaterally everybody agrees on. It doesn't exist. We, we make treaties to break them. This treaty is bulletproof, it's, and it's not even literally up for debate for the next, what is it, 2017, till 2041, and it's, it's amazing. So, One thing sorry. that always bothered me about Antarctica, like when I was a little kid looking at globes, of course <laughs> it didn't lead me to thinking the Earth was flat or anything like that, but I would always think, why is the South Pole, why is Antarctica so huge, yet the North Pole is just like this tiny little thing? I always thought that looked a little bit off. Interesting, isn't it? The, the the South Pole, this massive continent of Antarctica, is so it is it is the most unique continent of all the continents. It doesn't make any sense. It's just nothing but ice and snow. It's very very tall. It's taller than all the other continents combined in terms of of overall uh, average altitude. And Support, and we won't let planes fly over it as well. We, you know, we, people can fly around the world all day long going, following the equator route, but north to south, they won't let you fly over there. And when it's a short route, like so you're fly, flying from the uh, southern part of um, Africa to another southern hemisphere, they will not let you fly over. They banned that in the 1970s to where, and they say, oh no, it's too cold. Going too cold. You fly next to the North Pole all the time. What's what's too cold about Antarctica? They just make up stuff as it suits them, and it's it's brilliant. Does anybody actually live there? If if I was to say try to go there, organize some kind of party or something like that, are they going to shoot me? They you don't they don't have to shoot you. You'll be you'll be so bogged down in red tape that you won't even get close to the place. So I mean, people have talked about this already. It's like, we got to get a plane, got to get somebody in a Learjet and just, just floor it, you know, and just head down there. It's like, well, okay. First, if you're going to try to do it through legal channels, you're going to have to have permission from a whole bunch of countries and they're going to ask you what's about. And if you even hint to them what you're talking about, they're not going to let you anywhere near it. Two, 
if you decide to just go for broke and you have a pilot that's dying and he says, well, before I die, I'm going to fly this sucker all the way to the edge. No, that's fine. But remember, the GPS system, that's the United States DOD, you're going to have to follow those coordinates. He's going to have to ignore his instruments at some point. And then you're going to have to be looking for ground markers, you know, reference, reference points, and they're not going to be there. So how exactly are you going to navigate towards the edge, even if you do? Again, remember, don't think this hasn't been tried. The United States government, uh, granted, the planes weren't that great in the 40s and 50s, but they were a lot better than they were in the 20s. They were looking for the edge for 30 years with a plane, with planes. And they still couldn't find it. So if you think you can just take a Learjet there and on your first shot figure out where this thing is and then what, make it back to tell the tale? No. No, it's not going to happen. Antarctic trip is fraught with hurdles that are, are so big you're, you're better off looking in other places to see, you know, to reveal this thing. Is it true that all flight paths are actually based on a flat Earth? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Uh, flight paths... And that was one of the things that got me started on the whole flat earth thing, which was I watched a video where a German guy was saying that the flight paths in the southern hemisphere don't make any damn sense. Meaning if you try to book something from anywhere in the southern hemisphere, like South America to Africa or Africa to Australia, or I mean, any has to everything's below the equator, below the equator to a below the equator. What happens is, is that you can't find nonstops. I had to revise my original clue because I couldn't find any. And then a couple weeks later after I put, put or a couple days later after I put the clue out, people were saying, no, we found a few. And it didn't bother 95% of the flights in the Southern Hemisphere when you're the long distance flights are multiple connections and all the connections are going north, which is a weird, which is weird. So if I'm going from South America to Australia, right? Why am I going through Los Angeles or Dallas or San Francisco? And and you start when you start looking at these connections, get out a flat map and then plot the course from the south, you know, to from for, for those destinations. And when you plot them on a flat map, they turn from these huge arcing curves and V's to a shallow dog leg and in some cases an exact straight line and it only works on a flat map. It's brilliant. And that's one of the ways they've covered things up. I mean, one of the people I interviewed was a travel agent, corporate travel agent that specialized in Southern Hemisphere. And she had people complaining to her the entire time she was working there, all the time that they couldn't get freaking nonstop flights in the Southern Hemisphere. I mean, no matter how much money you paid, you could not get them. You know, from certain cities. Yeah, fine. You want to go from what? Auckland, New Zealand to Santiago, Chile. You might have one. But there are certain cities, there are none. At all. And we know that, you know, I know we're spoiled up in the United States in the Northern Hemisphere, but we can get nonstops all day long, especially if you got the money to pay for it. Down there, money has makes no difference. You can't get the nonstops for a, most of the cities, and it's fascinating. One thing that struck a chord with me early on were some of these pictures that they were showing of the sun and the mm -hmm. way that it was spreading light onto the clouds. It's, right. It seems that if the earth really was round at a certain distance from the sun, then the light should hit the earth evenly. It shouldn't shine rays onto a small section of clouds like you'll often see on a semi-sunny day. Right. The 
corpuscular ray argument and mainstream science will come back and, and say this. They'll say, well, that's to be expected even though the sun is hundreds of thousands of miles wide and 93 million miles away. But even mainstream science will come back to you and admit that, well, yeah, but it'll also do that if the sun is much closer and much smaller. And by that, I mean, say, 3,000 miles away and only 50 miles wide. You're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I was with you up until that point, but that's ridiculous. It can't be that small. You don't think it's that small? Take uh, a couple sticks and, you know, or, or popsicle sticks or whatever, make, you know, some, some uh, things in the ground to where you have sticks like a sundial pointing straight up and then take a flashlight and move it around. That flashlight is tiny compared to the sun. The sun should be this massive, massive, massive body, but it works also the same way if the sun is close. And uh, it's it's interesting. The corpuscular rays argument, while I don't think it's a silver bullet, it gives people a nice visual because it does make it appear that the sun is much, much closer. And why wouldn't it be? Uh, if we believe the illusion, uh, it, it's it's been working. And you know, nobody's, nobody's detected it because mainstream science says, oh, no, we're in this vast, vast solar system. Do you have any theories on what the sun and moon might actually be or where they came from? I think they were added in later versions. I can say that much because the, there's myths and legends going back at the, with the moon at the very least because there's, there's all sorts of fun stories where the moon was never there. You know, there was just the sun. If you want to go back to, you know, I won't quote too much biblical stuff here, to where even the sun wasn't there. It was just shades of light and dark, sort of like what we've done in games now. What the sun and the moon are, to me, the sun is just a giant heat lamp. That probably directional, like a spotlight, you know, like a directional heat lamp, like you'd find in a, a hotel bathroom. Or, and the moon is the exact opposite, meaning it is a refrigerant light. And people are going, I've never heard of that term before in my life. I'm going, you don't, neither had I until about a year and a half ago. Where, and and I remember when I first heard this test, and I and I go, this can't be true. Where the moon generates a cold light, and they go, no, 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 what do you mean? The, the moon, we all know them. It's colder at night. I go, no, 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 no. So it's, let's say it's 90 degrees in the sunlight. You know, we all know that's about 80 degrees in the shade, maybe a little less because the, the, the shade deflects some of the sun's rays. Well, when you're in the moonlight, let's say it's 50 degrees in the moonlight, it's actually warmer in the moon's shade. It's 60 degrees in the moon's shade, and that should not be possible. And I'm not talking about residual heat left over from the sun. I'm saying that the moon is actually generating a cold light up to 13 degrees in some cases from the moon shade it's actually warmer in the moon shade that should not be possible if the moon is reflecting the sun's rays the moon is generating its own light it's it's self-luminescent it's its own light source and i will take credit for being the first one to ask because just occurred to me where okay you take a magnifying glass of the sunlight and you can burn paper we've all done it as kids but what happens if you take a magnifying glass to this moonlight what happens then does it get warmer or does it get colder? Turns out it actually gets colder if you magnify moonlight. It, it's even colder than the moonlight itself. That's impossible. But we can do this in a university now, only I don't know, 10 years ago maybe. It's called a cold laser. We can generate laser beams that can generate a cold light. And you're saying, well, okay, what's that mean? I'm going, okay, why is the moon generating a cold light? It should not be though. Now, does that prove a flat earth? No. No, it doesn't. But it completely puts into question the relationship of the sun and the moon as we know it. 
a, another interesting thing about that is the eclipse. It seems that eclipses line up just a little bit too perfectly. That the distance between the planetary bodies would have to be perfect to achieve that. Yeah, the the solar system coincidences are fun, and the two big ones that we notice are. Uh, how the moon fits perfectly in front of the sun during an eclipse. And they'll say, well, you know, the moon is 400 times more narrow than the sun, but the sun is also 400 times farther away. Oh, wow, that matches up really, really well. Good, you know, good thing that worked out. For me, the, even the bigger one is that the moon, we only see the exact same side of the moon. It never changes, meaning when the moon rotates around the earth, it's also tracking with the earth to where it's perfectly aligned, to where we only see exactly, and I can't overstate this, exactly the same side of the moon. Meaning it doesn't even change a quarter of a degree every year. It You could go 100 years, 1,000 years, we're only going to see the same side of the moon. That's amazing. That, that's uh, from, a, from a physics standpoint, that's, that's pretty incredible that it's locked in like that. But I don't think it's an accident. I just think it's part of the system that was designed. Could the moon be flat like the Earth? Could be. Could be. Sure, there's some people that said it's part of the display system. Could be. I Could be a three-dimensional object as well. I, it's hard to say. I mean, I've seen some really weird photos out there. Uh, get to remember, if it is part of a projection system, they could be using technology that's well, far, far above ours. So if they're using some sort of holograph, you know, to to deal with it, I'm I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Let's put it that way. Whether it's 2D or 3D, either way, you're not landing anything on it. Now, if the Earth is flat or is some type of enclosure, why is it that when we dig deep into the ground, it gets hotter and hotter? Good point. And in fact, that was one of my the the clues that didn't get as uh, as warm as a reception. No play on words, but what I was trying to tell people is, is that in any system, there is nothing is going to be organic like this. Meaning, because I say, okay, you know, the, in, if you're in a closed system like a Truman Show or a Hollywood backlot, everything from the jet stream to the underwater conveyor system, all that stuff is going to be mechanical in some nature. You know, whatever power, whatever you're using to power it, including the magma system, and. What I'm saying here is I'm saying, yeah, volcanoes seem organic, but at the same time, you don't want it to be organic because one super volcano later and we're done. So you'd want to be, be able to control most of those systems. And you think I'm kidding, but at the same time, we know so little about actual geology. We only we know some surface stuff, fine, but I think the carbon dating system is completely full of crap. And – you, we all have seen the pictures uh, in, in our classrooms of the cutaway cross-section of the globe. If you supposedly uh, dug down to the center of the earth right now, it would take you 4,000 miles to get there if you believe mainstream science. And yet the deepest hole ever drilled, and I'm not kidding when I say this, is not even 1% of that. 1% of the, w the way the center of the earth is 40 miles, and the deepest hole ever drilled is 8. It's a fraction of 1%. So what exactly are those cross-sections? You know, they're not photographs, obviously. They're artist illustrations. Where did those come from? And geologists and science will say, well, you know, we're extrapolating. We're expanding. I'm going, no, you absolutely have no idea. But you, since you don't put a disclaimer on those drawings, 
you show a kid that at nine years old and then show it to him again when he's leaving school at 18, uh, he's going to believe it as gospel. So, you know, that's the, the, the dangers of mainstream science. They don't put the fine print everywhere like we have to do now with commercials, you know, where somebody's driving over the salt flats and they say, you know, professional driver on closed course. They should be required to do that on everything that they put out there that they don't know. Science hates saying that. They hate – for me, honestly, I would put in the middle of the globe, I would put a big question mark. Because you don't know. But science hates doing that. They don't like doing it. It's like, oh, we're going to make a leap of faith and we're not going to let anybody know that it's a leap of faith after a while. We're just going to let it slide. So, yeah, it's nice. Anyway. Okay. And another another thing that puzzles me would be meteors. For example, on the moon, there are craters. It does appear that something has hit the surface of the moon. And mm-hmm. there's also falling stars and things like that that people witness. Sometimes people even even find meteors. So if, if the Earth is flat and there's a dome covering it, how is that mm-hmm. that meteors and objects fall from space to the Earth? Mm-hmm. Good one. First off, when it comes to meteors, we only have tracked the small ones. Yeah, we've got evidence of the big ones, but that could just be terraforming. Yeah, the, the big one in Arizona where they shot part of uh, the movie Starman, we, we all know that crater. And the Gulf of Mexico is supposedly another big crater. The only ones we've seen, though, since our civilization has been around, and I'm not going to call the Tunguska blast of 1908 a meteor since there's no evidence of it. I mean, yeah, the trees were knocked over. We know that much. Is the, you know, the small ones. And that's not hard to, to do with an enclosed system. You just take a, a piece of metal or at speed and uh, shoot it into the atmosphere, you know, using, I don't know, rail gun and let it, you know, friction do its, you know, worst, you know, eventually hopefully detonate that thing. And hopefully you do that and try not to aim at any major cities. And it works really, really well. Is it part of an automated system? Maybe. Could be manual. Don't know. But the rest of the stuff doesn't hit. You know, show me, you know, isn't interesting that all, you know, our 5,000 years, we haven't had a, a meteor strike even close to a civilization. Yeah, we've had, as far as I know, no no major population centers hit. And while, while you were mentioning the moon, also interesting that the moon craters are all hit at 90 degree angles. There's no skidding moon craters. They all look like they were fired in directly hmm. perpendicular to the surface. Like it was decorated, like like the moon was you know peppered with stuff while they were while they were building it or constructing it or drawing it, whatever you want to say. You'd think if a if a meteor comes in at a shallow angle, it'd dig like you'd know, be scars, these deep trenches of varying uh, angles and trajectories. But no, it's it's the exact opposite. It's just these fully formed, big, huge, nicely you know circular craters. And it's in your opinion. The moon landing, well, I, I share this opinion, but the moon landing is completely fake. You would hold that it was a, a hoax. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, no, the, moon, the moon landing, the Apollo, that's the first thing you got to give up. The Americans going to the moon in the 1960s repeatedly without anybody dying is staggeringly unlikely. And by that I mean, and I'll, I'll, I, I know we don't. I know you probably have a few more questions. I don't know, but but uh, let me let me put do the 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 easy one. Here's the trap question, which I like to throw at people, and that is about the Van Allen radiation belts. You run into anybody in science or think they've got a scientific background, ask them this question: Are it's a really simple question. Are the Van Allen belts deadly? Yes or no. And the reason why it's a trap question is this: If they say 
yes, they are deadly, then you say, okay, then how did Apollo 8 through 17 do round trips through them? Nobody died, nobody got radiation poisoning, nobody got cancer how, how, with no shielding. You can look up the specs. They are not secret on the capsules that went to the moon and back, supposedly. There's no radiation shielding at all. We, we all know what protects us from, from radiation, at least the metals department. I'm not counting water that they use in reactors. The metals department, it's lead and it's gold, both very, very heavy. As a matter of fact, gold is twice as heavy as lead and lead's heavy. So how, if it's, if it's not deadly, how'd they get through it? And if they say, I'm sorry, if, if it's deadly, how'd they get through it? But if it's not deadly, then go to the NASA website and tell me why NASA won't send any manned probes out past 400 miles because they say Van Allen belts are deadly. And they say this in a little movie. You can find it anywhere. It's still on NASA.gov called Orion Trial by Fire where they where they go into detail and they say, oh, yeah, you know, it's deadly. We have to make round trips and we're not going to send any manned people through it first because we haven't figured out how to solve the radiation problem. Those it's it's a complete contradiction in what they said before. It's like, okay, so you haven't solved the radiation problem now in 2017, but you did in 1960. Did we go backwards? What, what exactly happened? Uh, you know, I could I could literally spend an entire show tearing apart the moon missions, but the the easy ones you want to look at the moon missions three three quick ones. Um, the no stars, fine. You know, they want to say camera exposure, fine. The 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 other ones would be intersecting shadows. If there's one light source from the moon, that's the sun. Shadows cannot intersect from the, they, they cannot run into each other because that means multiple light sources or a very small light source, which means a soundstage. And of course the blast crater. Look, you know, the, the, a three, a 10,000 pound, uh, or 10,000 thrust pound engine, pound thrust, pounds of thrust, pounds of thrust engine blasting into what looks like volcanic ash. And there isn't even the hint of a blast crater. And you say, well, it doesn't mean anything. Oh yeah, it does. I could go to the beach and blow on the sand. And that sand is more coarse than that ash on the moon. It supposedly is. I could blow on the sand and I can make a, a, a crater just with the air from my breath. And this 10,000-pound thrust engine didn't generate anything? Come on. Those, those things alone is enough to tear apart the moon mission. You've got to get rid of it. The Americans didn't go anywhere near the moon. They had to fake it because they didn't want – they wanted to make it to where – they had to militarize space and they didn't want any private companies getting into it for the longest time, which is why only now SpaceX is coming out and they're not going anywhere. SpaceX, you know, as much as they say, oh, SpaceX is doing this and doing that, it's like you still have never even claimed to have sent a man to space. You say you're going to go this time next year, you're going to send two tourists around the moon and back? I'll bet a, everything I have that they're they're going to kick that one down the road and they're not going anywhere. A- another funny one is the Mars rover where there is apparently an incident where they caught a, a rat or a little rabbit or something and it was mixed in there with the Mars soil. Oh yeah, the the Mars rover. Well, let's go into just the the technical side of it. Whereas, look, we all know if you know anything about cars, you know that a battery. Well, generally, batteries and just take a car battery. Car batteries have on there an expiration date, and by that it means when that battery finally dies, not when it charges and gets discharged and all this sort of stuff. When it finally dies, it's dead. That's it. That's why you take your battery in and exchange it for another battery. There's nothing they can do. It's 2017. 
nothing they can do for your battery. That that technology has not changed for a hundred years. And that is once the battery is, you know, you you basically used up the the charging capacity of the metal. And yet this Mars rover, and I think it's going on nine years now. I think it was seven when I started talking about it. I think it's nine now. That Mars rover battery should have been dead to the world a decade ago. And for some reason, it's still going. The Mars rover just miraculously just keeps going. It's 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 a miracle. It just keeps driving around, taking pictures and all this stuff. At one point, it was like shut down for a year and they said, oh, we got this backup system to work. No, it didn't. You figured – you did some focus groups, figured the public would, would buy it and that's why you did it. They get more funding. It's just – it's incredible. But yeah, the, the pictures they're taking are going to be on Earth somewhere, somewhere in a, a place where there's nobody up, probably in the northern uh, part of the northern hemisphere. You know, it's it's uh, It's awful. Terrible. One thing that I often get when I get into disagreements with people about flat earth is they say, oh, I went on a plane trip such and such years ago and I saw the earth's curve from the plane. They'll tell me stuff like that. Like if I was to go up in a plane, uh, maybe some kind of high altitude plane that I would be able yeah. to see it. But but that's not actually true. Is that correct? No, no, no. As a matter of fact, I've had people, at anyone listening out there, I'll put the challenge to you. We're going on two years now. Anyone who thinks they can see the curve from the beach, I still have people that say they can see the curve from the beach, beach or a plane or a balloon or a mountaintop, whatever it is, you take a picture of it, you put it on your computer, you hold some sort of straight edge up to it and tell me if the curve's still there. If it is, you can email me at msergeant23 at comcast.net and I will quit flat earth the second I get that picture. And to date, nobody has even sent a picture because it's it's not there. You want here's the difference. You want to see the curvature. We're told it's very Orwellian in a way. You know, there are five, if you're told, we've seen focus groups. You can do psychological lookups from this all day long. Focus. This is it's it's um it's peer pressure. Whereas you're told for years and years and years that there's a curve. You're told years and you know that there's five lights, even though you see four. But you're told there's five. Eventually, you're going to question yourself. You're told it's a curve. You're going to want to see the curve. And nobody sees it. They want to see it. Some people have convinced themselves that it's there. But if you take a picture of it, it's not there. And then they get confused and frustrated. Same thing with pilots. Pilots, when they're up there, because they're in the cockpit, they see it, you know, a great panoramic view. They always see perfectly flat. But because they are told, you know, since you were children, that it's curved, there's this weird paradox going on in their head. It's like, yeah, we see flat. In fact, I've talked to pilots. Several of them have, have come forward and talked about this and say, oh, yeah, we all know that we only see flat at any altitude up there. And that's a way better view than people sitting in the passenger seats. But they, you know, they, they, they can't. But the thing is, even the best navigator, who are you going to tell if you're a pilot? You can't tell anybody. If Even if you think the world is flat, you might as well tell them that you were chased by a UFO. It, it would probably have to be easier. To tell them that UFO, you'll probably just be benched. Uh, you tell them it's flat, you're probably going to get a psychological evaluation. Has anybody gotten seriously ticked off at you because of flat Earth theory? No, 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 no. Uh, it, because it sinks in fairly quickly. Once you start looking into flat Earth, you realize that it's the ultimate street magic trick. You fell for something 
that was around you the entire time. But it wasn't, again, it wasn't your fault. The, it's the old P.T. Barnum saying, which is you can fool some of the people all the time and all of the people some of the time. And that's really what we're talking about here. You can't fool all of them forever. But this was something that was big enough. That, remember, most of our population lives you know, between sea level and one mile up. So unless you have the ability to get to the outer marker, you know, deep into Antarctica, which is controlled by the government, or you have a plane that can go 100 miles or further, which nobody has, you know, that's all military, you sealed off the upper edge and the outer edge, no one's going to know the difference. In fact, most people don't know, even even the powers to be, you know, and pilots don't know, scientists don't know, most NASA employees don't know. Some of the telemetry guys, yeah, maybe. But this is some. This is a secret you really don't want to have a whole lot of people knowing, because it weighs on them pretty heavy. It, it, a lot of people don't. I think they told the Apollo astronauts. I think they they told them. But after that, they realized psychologically some people just can't take it. So every astronaut after that, they just you know made them sign a disclosure agreement and said, eh, you just aren't. You don't have enough clearance. It's above your pay grade. Okay, and. At this point, I would like to get into who the heck is behind this all? Who has this agenda where they want us to to think that the Earth or believe that the Earth is round? In your opinion, Mark, who is behind this and why? Well, it's not us. I can, I can say that. It's an advanced civilization. The only thing we did was we kept it a secret. The initial secret was way beyond us, though. Which, meaning, it really depends what what angle you want to take here. You you could either say that it's divine, you know, intelligent design, or that God subcontracted out the work. It's because really what we're talking about here is a civilization that's multiple octaves above us in terms of technology. And had the ability to create basically a planetarium thousands of miles wide and probably thousands of miles high as well and you think well it's way it's way beyond anybody it's like really because we you know we can do this on a limited scale we can do things now that we couldn't ex- even explain to somebody 200 years ago seriously if you want you know don't forget that uh, heavier than air flight was literally deemed impossible by physicists only 100 years ago so i don't believe anything's impossible now, we, uh, our civilization had to cover it up, but that goes into the whole men hate giving up power thing, which is, you all remember the, the, the Truman Show movie from 1998 where you know Truman gets out to the edge and he starts banging on the edge and then what happens? The first chance, first door he sees, he is out of there, right? And thinking, well, yeah, of course. And how the movie was written, that was the only way it was going to go because he, he realized his marriage was a sham and his best friend was a sham and the whole town was a sham. The whole thing was a was a big setup. It was a big stage. Well, what if it wasn't Jim Carrey that went out there? What if it was – what if there were more people? What if the whole town didn't know, for example? What if the mayor got out there in a boat and he found that it was the edge? Would he actually walk out the door? Because he's got a pretty good thing going. You know, he's mayor. He's got perks. He's got all sorts of fun stuff. You're going to give up the good life for, you know, you know, the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. It depends who finds out where you are. So, yeah, if you or I found the edge, yeah, we might try to, to, to go beyond it or we might go back and tell people. We don't have that much to lose. 
But if you're a government organization or a scientific organization, you have a lot to lose, especially a scientific organization that said, oh, yeah, it's a globe for the last 500 years. Well, you really going to go back on that? People say, oh, no, science would absolutely tell people. I'm going, well, in one sense, yes, it would benefit them because it would be this great new scientific discovery and whoever discovered it would make a lot of money and it would be on the cover of all these magazines. But science as an institution could be potentially decimated by this because you're admitting the the foundation for a lot of other sciences is not so steady. You know, we're talking, you'd have to rebuild. I mean, think of what would happen to all the, the major academic institutions all over the place. Uh, astronomy and astrophysics, that's gone. Those things don't even come back anymore. They close their doors. That's it. The remaining ones, geology, hydrology, biology, archaeology, take your pick. doesn't really matter. Those have to be retooled literally from the ground up. No play on words there at, for the new model. All the textbooks have to be thrown out. That takes time. That takes effort. And you've got to re-examine all these models. Education gets thrown into chaos. And you're really going to risk that if you're the scientific? It's like shotgunning your own foot. Not a lot of people would do it, even if it was for the right reasons. You just, you just don't want to do it. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. The, the, the powers that be, it's a short meeting. It just, it's not like they had to hum and haw about it. They really – it was, it was an instinct reaction. It's like if the population even had the, the chance to grab pitchforks and torches and come after science, they're not going to do it. So anyway, advanced, short answer to that. Short, advanced civilization built it. Science covered it up. Okay, and in terms of an advanced civilization, could it be the Anunnaki that Zechariah Sitchin is most famous for pointing out? Could it be an ancient race of custodial aliens that gave their technology to mankind and now wish to keep us in some sort of game reserve? Sure. Or the Anunnaki could have been part of, you know, they could be locked in here with us. One of the two, you know, I mean, who's to say who the final, who, who's version one and who was put in here first and who, yeah, who are the custodians? Who are the janitors? Who are, yeah, that's very possible. Of course, I'm kind of, when it comes to Sitchin, I'm, I'm a little, because I've watched enough movies, I still think the guy ripped a lot off from When Worlds Collide. They don't want us to go watch that movie and then take a look at Sitchin's work again. But it doesn't really matter because there are there are races out there that are far far older than us but i like to call them older versions than us you know they're they're just different versions of what we had you know the i believe you know let's face it there was a civil a civilization that had to be relocated to make room for us and when we you know we have to are asked to move on to a different place there'll be another one that'll follow us so we you know, we're just part of the chain okay and how about the idea that there are a network of secret societies, Freemasons and other secret societies, as well as the global elite that are all working together. And they are, they're called the Illuminati and they worship Lucifer. And could it be an Illuminati behind this or could it be Lucifer himself? Well, yes, potentially. I mean, there's a lot of different groups out there. Take your pick. Uh, Illuminati, Bilderberg, Rothschilds, Trilateral Commission, count, um, uh, Council on Foreign Relations, the Masons, take, take your pick, the, the Vatican, all sorts of groups. But what I believe is that even they didn't know 
for the longest time. Yeah, they probably had the old maps, sure. But you, let's say, again, you're the king of France in 1500. You have the old map that shows the, the flat world. What can you do with it? 1500, you got wooden ships and horses. You, you don't even have balloons. So what, what, what good is that information to you? Until the internal combustion engine is made in 1900 and until you can get planes built, which really aren't the, the decent planes aren't until 1930s, 1940s, until you can get that, what do you know for sure? Which is why they were so desperate to try to map this thing out. So I think even the great secret societies for, that have been around for a long, long time didn't know. Until the 1950s, until Admiral Byrd finally, during that last mission during Operation Deep Freeze, didn't know for sure. They they had an inkling, but they couldn't exploit it until then. And then once the one towards the end of the 1950s, 1960s, that's when everything changed. Now, on that same topic, mm-hmm. could there be people that come from perhaps black ops or private funded organizations? that are actually going out there spreading disinformation about flat earth and and making ridiculous flat earth arguments in order to make the entire flat earth belief system look stupid. Well, if there are, I haven't really seen any yet because uh, again, the community is broad covering a whole bunch of different demographics now. And I have yet to see anybody jump forward and, just say, okay, here's here's some really, really crazy. I mean, remember, Flat Earth is, is crazy to begin with, right? So even the, the stuff, the early stuff, like saying that gravity is just acceleration, that we're on a disk that's accelerating through a, a vast thing, and that's that gravity's that. Even that hasn't really stuck that well. The rest of it, though, I've, I've kept a, a pretty good finger on the pulse of everything that's been going on there, and nothing has really caught my eye as far as eccentric. And and people say, well, no, quasi-luminous, he's, he's a pretty eccentric guy, going, yeah, but he was he was making the cut-up newspaper uh, hostage <laughs> presentation stuff. He was doing that a long time before Flat Earth, so that's just him. And But, I mean, the conference that we're doing in the fall, everybody there seems pretty, pretty much on the same page, more or less. Yeah, according to quasi-luminous... We should all band together and make a journey to the North Pole North in order Pole, to find yeah. the Holy Grail, and we need to take our blood and spill it all over the ground. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's about as fringe as it gets with with his stuff. But again, he was doing this stuff. I remember kind of digging into a few of his things way before you know this started. He's been around. He's been doing. He, he's he's in. He's been in that headspace for a long time before Flat Earth. So the fact, you know, in fact, he's latching onto flat Earth. Hey, great, fine, and everything. He's got quite a few followers, but uh, but even he isn't derailing anything. You know, I don't get a lot of complaints saying, "Oh, you really should talk to Quasi Luminous." So, yeah, well, you know, to each his own. And he's he's as long as he's not as long as it's constructive. As long as he doesn't have anybody killed, probably okay. Well, let's let's talk about his theories for a second. Uh, mm-hmm. What about what about this idea that uh, there's actually a hole leading to hollow earth at the North Pole? Do you feel there's any possibility of that? Oh, sure. Sure. I was a hollow earth guy for a while. And uh, hollow earth is very uh, dovetails quite well into this. Because remember, most of the population we have now lives from sea level to one mile. It would not take much of a cavern to hold a civilization. 
In fact, if you want to get kind of spooky Twilight Zone type stuff, you could say that let's say you had a cavern that was, I don't know, 200 miles high and 20,000 miles wide. It would look kind of like what we're in now. You know, if you had a decent projection system on the screen, who's to say that we're not inside a hollow earth? It's, it's very, very possible. So if there's an entrance up, of the, up there, sure, why not? The, the two different stories, you know, Admiral Byrd, the 1926, that's how everyone remembers Admiral Byrd in the conspiracy world, at least the beginning of it, where he supposedly went into the hollow earth entrance and, and turned into like a journey to the center of the earth type thing with another civilization. But the other story that most people don't know, if you want to look into this fun stuff, look into uh, Charles Lindbergh. Charles Lindbergh supposedly was the second guy to do it and that he wanted to show pictures and because they wouldn't, the government wouldn't let him and he was going to do it anyway. And that's when the whole Lindbergh baby thing happened. And he got so pissed off after it ended badly that he renounced his citizenship and left the United States, which that part was true. How do you feel about Eric Dubai? Do you feel that he is a good researcher? He's a good researcher. I just wish that, and I've said this on many things, I just wish his beliefs, his extra extracurricular beliefs uh, on demographics, his biases towards other demographics were kept out of it. That's all. I, the Flat Earth is the fear killer. Flat Earth is also the discrimination killer. If you have a bias towards a particular group, I don't care which one it is, and people know my utter hatred towards the Eskimos and the Himalayan Sherpas, it <laughs> Those groups have nothing to do with my flat earth beliefs. And so I say, look, keep them separate if you can. If you don't, eventually you're going to run into problems. So that's just my message is the same as it always been. Just keep, keep focused on flat earth and nothing else. Uh, okay. Um, what about, you know, since we're talking about other theories, uh, what about his theory that dinosaurs are fake? Do you buy into that at all? Well, it's a second tier conspiracy, like any of them, you know, when people will talk about, but I will say this, I doesn't surprise me. I, at the very least, the carbon dating system is completely screwed up and that would fit in with some sort of manufactured world, which is when you go from one civilization to the other, you're going to have these gaps and, you know, whatever terraforming process is used, the carbon dating system is going to be screwed up. But because scientists don't look at terraforming as an option, they say, well, if it's a natural process, it had to have occurred over this number of years. And look, we see fish. There's fish in the ocean right now that should not be there. It should have died out millions of years ago. Uh, I still think the Loch Ness Monster you know, could be a plesiosaur. But if you catch a plesiosaur, that opens up a whole can of worms, which I don't think science wants to deal with which is what's a plesiosaur doing in a lake when it should have died out millions of years ago? The only explanation that, that of course, works for me because it works into a uh, manufactured world is that, you know, some of these things were kind of left over as, you know, little bonus mysteries from one civilization to another. And that the earth isn't that old. The civilization, oh yeah, our civilization go back, go back 5,000 years. But the gaps in between our civilization and the previous one, we have no idea how long they are. How about this idea that there were once a race of giant humans, possibly a hybrid race with these Anunnaki or maybe something entirely different? How about the idea that there have been giant skeletons found and it's all being covered up similar to Flat Earth? Sure. Why not? 
The, I mean, think of the, the technology we use today. You're thinking, well, what does that have to do with that? I'm going, think of how big things used to be. Tube transistors. The electronics that we used to start out with were monstrous. Uh, you know, the computers that would take up an entire room now can fit literally in the palm of your hand. We have more processor power now. And what happened was, if, I'm, if you're old enough to remember, things just got smaller and smaller and smaller. The Japanese were brilliant at it, genius at it, to where, you know, I mean, remember the first transistor radios. They kept making – I mean, honestly, we have – we can make uh, iPods now. I've got like an iPod shuffle, you know, those little tiny ones that are about the size of a matchbook. The only reason they aren't smaller is because then they become absolutely unusable. We could make iPod shuffles that were literally tiny, 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 but you'd never be able to work them with your fingers. So to say that the early versions of this place had giants on them, yeah, why not? And then you start working in smaller and smaller and smaller. Why not? You get more bang for your buck if you can design you know, civilizations that are smaller. You can, you can fit more on a, an area. I think it's the, I think it's a natural process of terraforming. A lot of, a lot of people that are flat earthers, earthers, they believe that space is actually made up of either water or some type of liquid substance. Uh, What do you think of that? Is it liquid? Is it a vacuum? What exactly is up there? Well, the barrier that separates, you know, the waters above and the waters below could be just about anything. You know, if we're living in, if if the water we swim in is two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, and the air we breathe is one part oxygen and four parts nitrogen, then the heavy thing that's up there above us, take your pick. Is it a heavy element? Is it heavy water? Is it frequency based? Is it electromagnetic in nature? We don't know. Is 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 it artificial gravity? Is it is it partially a unified field? Can't can't say. Uh, but either way, there seem to be things suspended in it. So yeah, could could the stars be inside this thing? Yes. Is it a liquid you can drink? Eh, I don't know. Is it something we can punch into? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but it's it's definitely something that we can't get out of, in my opinion. Okay, and this is something that you kind of alluded to earlier, but I have a specific thing I want to bring up. A lot of talk in, there's a lot of talk in the conspiracy world about something called transhumanism, where supposedly these hidden elite are trying to usher us into a technological future, which would include leaving our physical bodies and existing in a virtual reality state. I find it very odd that something like that would be going on. Uh, Could it be that we've actually always been in the simulation and they're just kind of using this transhumanism thing as a way to tell us what's really going on? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The... um Again, you don't have to look that far back in media. Of course, the the most famous being the 1999 Matrix, or 1998, or is it 99? I think it was 98. Uh, Truman Show, or but more 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 to the point, the Thirteenth Floor. The Thirteenth Floor was a brilliant movie, and that movie was even a remake. That was based off of a German movie called World on a Wire, back in the 1970s in German, and which was amazing. Which is, uh. In the 13th floor, they made a virtual reality, which they could jack into, and then realize when they came back out of it that they would start questioning where they were. And Star Trek Next Gen actually touched on that several times where the, with the holodeck. 
And that is if you made a hologram, uh, convincing enough, you know, you, that you would blur the lines of reality, which gets kind of tricky because, and which is why I don't think you're going to be able to let, ha- have to let it get that much farther than we are now. Because then, then it turns into, again, use another movie eruption, then it turns into an, an inception, you know, the movie with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio type scenario where if you start blurring the lines, then it takes the relevance of this world away. And I don't think the beings that built this place is going to let that happen. They'd let it happen, you know, we let it happen in the movies, let it happen in the 13th floor, let it happen in inception. I don't think it's going to happen here though. We're going to get close, but that it's kind of, it's an indicator to me that we're coming to a conclusion. By the way, I've got about uh five or seven minutes left because I've, I've got a I got a show I got to do, but I just want to let you know in advance. Oh yeah, of course. Thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, why right. don't Why don't we go ahead and use this opportunity? Uh, what I like to do at the end of each show is just open up the floor. And Mark, here's an opportunity for you if you want to get on the soapbox one more time. If you don't have time, that's fine. Or if you just like to uh, either just do some plugs or follow up with some plugs, feel oh, free sure. to feel free to do that now. All right. Uh, let's see. Read my lips. No new taxes. That's my soapbox. The that's from George Bush, by the way. Probably <laughs> not old enough to remember. The uh, soapbox. No. What I'm trying to tell people is like, look, don't believe a single word I've said here tonight. What you've been listening to, because it's I'm not going to be able to convince you in an hour and a half. But what I will say is this: if you're interested at all, take a look. Don't dig into it real deep, but do your own research and ask questions because it is the world you're living in is not what you think. If you're a movie fan, you already know what I'm talking about. If you're a big television fan, if you watch enough Twilight Zone or Outer Limits or any of those old shows, you're going to know what I'm talking about. The potential, this is something that science fiction has, has delved into for a number of decades. And if you think it's beyond the realm of possibility, let me throw this, this out at you which is with all the great science fiction stories that have been written over the years, all the fantastic works. I mean, there's been so many movies and books uh, and, and television shows written. Wasn't it statistically likely that one of those was going to be right? And in this case, why, why not this story? You know, I mean, think of the movies we, we've seen out there that have been like this, like Dark City or The Truman Show or The Village by M. Night Shyamalan. So... Again, don't don't close it off entirely. Open up your mind a little bit on this and see what you think. And if you try, or you know, I'll just put the challenge. I'll end it on this. Uh, the challenge is this: try to debunk it. Do what everybody else did. Try to shut it down. Say, you know what, Mark? In fact, you could, if you could email me your debunking argument and say it's not flat. Here's why, and you absolutely believe it 100. percent Yeah, I'll listen to you. But I bet that during the process of you writing that email to me, you're going to be sucked down the rabbit hole. And the only plug I'm going to give is the YouTube channel. Or in fact, if you want to see the entire community, the entire community's work, just type in Flat Earth into YouTube. You'll find it. There's a lot, a lot of stuff out there, not just mine. If you want to see my stuff, type in Flat Earth Clues, and you'll eventually get to my webpage, which is just my name. And good luck with the rabbit hole, because once you go down it, I don't think you're coming out. That's my that's my speech. All right, Mark. First of all, thanks for joining us today, and it was definitely very interesting. I'd sure as heck love to do this again some sometime in the future. Sure, be happy to do it. I, that's, this is what I do all the time, flat Earth, twenty four seven. Well, okay then. Until we reach that point, you have a good day, my friend. All right, you too. Have a good one. Bye. Bye bye.
And there you have it. That was Mark Sargent, Flat Earther. I hope you guys learned a thing or two. Perhaps the Earth is not flat. Perhaps it's not round. Perhaps it is or it isn't. We don't really know. But there's seriously something going There's something seriously wrong going on here. There's a great deal of deception. There's a great deal of believing in things just because we're told. There's a great deal of just going with the most logical theory and not really basing these perceptions and beliefs on anything solid. There's quite a bit of that. And I hope I hope all of you out there realize that. I hope you realize that there really isn't all that much proof for a round Earth. In fact, there's just as much proof for a flat Earth as there is for a round Earth. Do I know the Earth is flat? No. But do I know that I've been lied to about it? Absolutely. I mean, just go on YouTube like Mark said, and look at some of these videos of space being fake and and stuff like that. All it takes is, what, 30, 40 minutes of your time at the most. But we'll go ahead and take a break. I have some music to play for you. Uh, I've got the Flat Earth song, Flat Earth Head by Wolfman I'm going to play. I know that's a favorite of a lot of yours. It's not The only thing is that it's not the acoustic version I really like that unplugged acoustic version. The plugged-in studio version is good. There's just something really natural about that acoustic version. I'll have to see if I can't get a copy of that. Or He is coming on the show. Maybe I could just get him to bring his guitar. But anyways, let's go ahead and listen to that.
Welcome back to the end of days. That's right. This is End of Days Radio, starring your host, Daniel, coming at you all the way from the shimmering Emerald City right here in the heart of the Pacific Northwest. That music you just heard, the first song is called Flat Earthhead. That's by Wolfman Mike. The second one is called the... I'm sorry, just War to End All Wars Part 1 Remix. And the, the third song was Cold Day in Hell. Both the second and third songs are by Al's band Circle A Enterprises. Circle A Enterprises, sorry. And by the way, I did... I did... I was a little short on time when I started the show. So I did not have time to talk about that new intro. I wanted to give a shout out to Todd, as well as his cousin Eric, and Al. Todd and Al both call in the show. I think Eric did a while back as well. So big shout out to those guys for working so hard on that intro. Todd's been in in the lab, in his lab, his studio, working on this nonstop for over a month now. And... I absolutely love it. I think it's just badass. So big thank you to those guys for working so hard to help the show. Definitely turned out very well. I did I did play a little bit of a part in it. I, I put the cherry on top. I kind of mixed things together at the end. But besides that, it's all them. So big thank you for helping out the show to such a, such a high degree. I, I definitely appreciate that. I also want to throw a shout out out there to Tony, who donated to the show recently. As I said, I'm going to do shout outs to anybody that donates, just as a way to thank thank them for donating. I I don't have any t-shirts or coffee mugs to offer, but I can do a thank you on air, which I think is kind of cool. So shout out to Tony for his donation. And if you want to donate to End of Days Radio, just... Go to endofdaysradio.com and click the donate button. Help us keep the lights on and keep the servers running. As you know, this is the wrap-up period on End of Days Radio. And I do have a new story to start us off. Uh, if This one comes from WFAA.com. As many of you know, I watch The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise. I watch all of those shows. I know some of you are going to hate me for saying this, that I watch those shows. You probably hate them. But, excuse me. What's funny is there's a a news article, and it says that a guy from The Bachelorette, his name is Kenny King, or his name's Kenny, Kenny King in the world of pro wrestling. He's a pro wrestler. He wrestles for Ring of Honor, and... uh, Immediately, I recognized him when he went on the show. I was like, oh my god, that's Kenny King. What is he doing? Why is he on the show? (laughs) But the reason I'm bringing this up on this show is on one of the episodes, he refers to another contestant as a reptilian piece of garbage. And I absolutely started cracking up at that for obvious reasons. I mean, I'm into reptilian theory and stuff like that. So when I, when I, when I heard him calling another guy on the show a reptilian, I just started cracking up. Uh, the other guy is a guy named Lee. He's a big troublemaker. He's kind of the villain of this season. But it just kind of shows you. It shows you how far the lexicon has gone. How far 
the whole reptilian alien thing has been seeded into our our humanity's global consciousness, the collective unconscious. It's amazing that reptilian theory is such a big part of that, isn't it? That you're seeing people talk about it in mainstream television shows and things like that. I, I mean, guys like David Icke have got to be proud. I think that's really interesting. You could point to the fact that the show V, that original television series, that's all the way from what, the late 80s? Something like that. And I'm sure that you have other things that are even older, like there's that episode of Star Trek where Bill Shatner is wrestling around and fist fighting with a large reptilian. Is it called the Gorn? Something like that. I think it's called the Gorn. That's one of the best original Star Trek episodes out there. I think that's actually the one that made Star Trek popular because at first it was just a bunch of boring stuff happening inside of a spaceship. And all of a sudden there's this badass fist fight where Captain Kirk is just swinging those fists like he always does, or he did many times after that. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mess with William Shatner. I, I've seen him fuck some dudes up. I mean, that guy's got some hands on him for sure. So another thing I want to talk about is the best way to get people listening to the show is really to tell your friends. I mean, there's social media, stuff like that, but none of that compares to word of mouth. And I, I wouldn't recommend you telling anybody that's going to dislike you after you tell them about it. But if you know somebody that you would like to, you would like to expose to a different way of thinking if you would like to help them see outside the box a little bit, then tell them about this show. And if they aren't completely repulsed by my sense of humor and my political opinions, they might like it. So please tell your friends, tell, tell everybody, you know, about this show. In fact, take some chalk and write it all over the pavement. It's just chalk. It's not vandalism. It'll wash away in the rain. Just write it everywhere. Or if you're in a store, pull up endofdaysradio.com on all the computers or maybe take a can of spray paint. and st- No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. <laughs> if anybody's going to do that, it's going to be me. And I'll be the one getting arrested. I'll be the one getting my pants and shoes taken in prison. Taken by the other inmates out in the yard. Hey, what you doing? You fresh fish? Give me them pants. Uh, okay, I, I, I just don't want to get into any trouble. Here, take my pants. <laughs> no, bend over. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, okay. So I went to McDonald's recently and I ordered my favorite meal from McDonald's, a Southwest salad. I got home. I started eating it. It did not have my corn. It did not have the jalapeno. It did not have the beans. It did not have the lime. It was literally missing half of the stuff. How was I supposed to eat a Southwest salad that doesn't have all the crap in it? I'm not going to eat that. So guess what I did? I took it back to McDonald's. I took the half-eaten, nasty, dripping, half-eaten salad back to them, along with the other salad that I bought that I was going to eat the next day. You know, I'm on a diet and everything. I took them both back, and I demanded a refund, which they gave me in cash. This is like... I, I don't know how many times I've been screwed over at McDonald's. You guys remember... I think it was a couple years ago where I ordered a McChicken. No, it wasn't a Mc, excuse me, it wasn't a McChicken. It was a Big Mac. And I bit into a big rock and almost chipped my tooth. Excuse me. 
You guys remember that? Yeah, McDonald's quality control is horrible. I don't need, I don't know why I would even go there. The reason I was going there was because they have those delicious Southwest salads. They're only like what four dollars and fifty cents, and they're only like four hundred and fifty calories or something like that. It's this big, huge salad. It's delicious, best thing on the menu. But if they're going to screw that up, that leaves nothing. That means all that there is is a bunch of greasy garbage. And if they can't even get that right, then I'm not going to go there. I'm done. I'm done with McDonald's. I'm done with Jack in the Box. Jack in the Box always screws up my orders. They always burn my food. Like, what's with these friggin' millennials nowadays? Are they even millennials? These, these young people. They don't even try at their jobs at all. I remember when I was a teenager, I would actually try at my job. I mean, I, I, I didn't have a totally shit attitude about it like a lot of these kids nowadays. They, they don't even care. They know they won't be working there forever. And so they don't. I, I say whatever you're doing. I don't care if you're washing dishes, you're mowing lawns, whatever. Do it to the best of your ability. Do the best job that you can. Don't act like you're above it. Just do the best job that you can. Maybe you are above it. Maybe you need to get out of that. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do a good job. It's just a matter of having integrity and being polite. But you know what's funny? I know that the manager at that McDonald's was lying because she told me, well, okay, there were tomatoes in the salad in place of the other stuff. And when I went in there, I asked her where the tomatoes came from. And she just turned red and she did not give me an answer. So obviously they ran out of the other ingredients and they threw those tomatoes in there thinking I'm not going to notice or I'm not going to care. Yeah. Do not trust shady McDonald's managers. Uh, <laughs> One of my favorite shows is Trailer Park Boys. Anybody out there watch that show? I absolutely love that show. I think it's so funny. It's probably top five if not top three of my favorite shows of all time if any of you have not seen trailer park boys go out and watch it right now they took a long hiatus from the show but now it's on netflix it used to just be a canadian show so unless you lived in canada you wouldn't even know what it was and then it started picking up in america the first time i found about it found out about it was on the cover of high times magazine the three main characters, Ricky, Julian, and Bubbles, were on the cover. And I decided to check it out, and I started laughing my ass off. It's a funny, funny as shit show. If you haven't seen it yet, if you, especially if you've got Netflix, please uh, watch every episode. I don't even know if you can get every episode. Find some way. Go all the way back to the very beginning, the first season, and watch it from the beginning. That show is seriously one of the best. And other than that, I would really like for you guys to go back and listen to any of the past shows that are up on endofdaysradio.com. If you haven't heard the last show, for example, with V from the Red Pill Hardcore podcast, talking about targeted individuals, Project Bluebeam, gang stalking, and stuff like that, listen to that one. There's also my interview with Eve Lorgan about the alien love bite. That's the show before that. And before that is an interview with David Charles Plate, who isn't very well known. So I really want you guys to go back and listen to that. That is an awesome interview. He can actually read Hebrew. Not a whole lot of people can do that. And he talks about prophecies inside of the ancient Hebrew text. And he actually says that they predicted 9-11. And the way he presented it, it sounded 
pretty believable. So I would highly recommend going back and listen to those three shows and stop by endofdaysradio.com. That's where you can get our schedule. As you know, I really want you guys to come to the live show. If you're a fan of End of Days Radio, come down to the live show. Go to endofdaysradio.com, click chat room. And if you want to know who is coming on, just look at the calendar at endofdaysradio.com. Go to the upcoming guest section, and then you'll know when the show's on. Also, remember to subscribe on all the services out there. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube. Follow me on Twitter at Ninja Shoes. Like me on Facebook. That's the real end of days radio. Liking helps the show. And subscribe on the TuneIn Radio app where you can listen to the show live at those times listed at endofdaysradio.com. Just go to TuneIn, go to the app, or go to the website and search EODR, which stands for End of Days Radio. And besides that, I'm having a fantastic time doing the show. I'm really starting to, I, I feel like I'm finding my groove. I'm starting to rediscover the feelings that made me want to start the show in the first place. So I'm really having a great time. I feel more and more passionate about it every day. I work harder and harder at it every day. And it's starting to really take off. There's more and more listeners jumping aboard. The numbers, the stats keep rising. So big thank you to all of you guys out there. All of you guys, all of my friends out there who listen to the show. A lot of you people talk to me personally on a semi-regular basis. So I just want to give a shout out to all of you guys. I can't possibly list everybody because I would leave people out. But there's so many of you out there supporting the show, following it, even getting ideas from the show for your own shows. And I don't even have a problem with that. I think that's awesome. If you have any questions about podcasting or, or websites or any of the technical stuff, and hit me up with an email and I'll, I would be happy to help you get started because there's not enough people out there doing this. And it's hard getting started. It was hard for me to get started. So I, I think that rather than uh, you know shut people out that could really turn into some amazing, talented things someday, I want to help you guys out. I want to help. I want to help the future. I want to help those little sprouts grow. So if you have any questions, hit me up. And other than that, I'm gonna play that freaking badass intro again. I absolutely love this. This is. This is going to be the intro. There's not going to be any more change yet after this because this is freaking badass. All right, here we go. Peace out, everybody. Oh, when are we going to be on again? Uh, the next show will be tomorrow. <laughs> like, when are we going to be on again? Oh, tomorrow. At same time, 5 p.m., we'll be speaking to Marshall Masters about Nibiru. So I will see you then. Until then, have a good day. Good day, sir. Okay, that is not the intro. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I'm sorry. And then I was shown that um, uh, that Lucifer would return, that the UN and the Vatican were going to be completely behind it, again, under false pretenses. He's going to show up and say, I'm here to save the day, right? Uh, and okay, fine, you know. Yeah, of go course, ahead, you can say it. whatever you want. But I've always hated censorship, it's the internet. Sometimes, you know, once they get you for your first love bite, well, it depends on how aware you are, right?
Some are, are good and some use their magic for good and to heal and to help and others do use it for evil. And, you know, in some cases, you know, people really were. <laughs> this is too much sometimes. <laughs> 